Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Thank you, can, I, can we just pray for you both before yeah, we... Please. That'd be amazing. Shmitty. <laughs> Father, thank you for this bear of a man, Lord. We thank you for this man whose heart is for you. Uh, we love hearing what comes out of him, Lord. We know he seeks you. We know he loves you. And we pray, pray today, Father, that uh, the very words that, that come out of this man would be you married with him, and we will be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. There's a, a song that I think comes out of Bethel, but um, Sky used to sing it from, from time to time. <sighs> I'm a mess, I'm a mess, I'm a mess right now. There's just something about the, the beauty and the love that God has for, for us and everyone here that just from time to time absolutely wrecks and, and ruins me. And I've had a week of being wrecked and ruined and this morning in worship I got wrecked and ruined and just looking around at at everyone here, and just this immense love for people rising up. It's a mess, it's a mess, I'm a mess, I'm a mess. So um, the Holy Spirit can talk through a donkey and change people's lives, so he can work through my mess and do incredible things, but I'm, I'm a mess. I remember early in my walk, uh, I wanted to go and do a bit of an outreach, and I went to a shopping center in Cape Town called Bayside, and Bayside, I guess, is a lot like the Watercrest Mall, fairly similar to that, and before I went into the front door, I said, okay, Dad, before I step in, I want you to show me what, (laughs) what you feel for the people in here. And I, n- <laughs> I never made it in. Because I spent three hours sitting at the door sobbing. <laughs> in the natural, I don't want to be a mess. But if that's what my dad wants to do with me, then let him do it and let him do it more. And thank you, Caleb and the worship team, for setting things up properly. You see, it takes a risk to do what you did. To come up front, to invite everyone to come forward because they may or they may not. There were big steps taken today. They were baby steps, but there were big steps taken today. It's amazing how far back in the front people can put themselves. <laughs> it's, it's quite weird. But thank you for taking that risk. Thank you for taking that risk to respond to his risk. And we, we touched some beautiful things today in worship that wouldn't have happened if it hadn't have been for those risks that were taken. And there was something about the final night of the fast that we had when Richard asked people to come up and share about times when they've experienced God's glory. 
There was something about Roger preaching last Sunday morning and talking about how we've all been very well trained and very equipped, but it's time for people to step out and, and, and risk, and it doesn't have to be this big, scary thing. All of that is absolutely critical, and I think that's what I wanted to speak on and, and touch on today. I think the title I've got in my head is... Um, Adventures with God would be a, would be a good one. And in, in line with that, I'm going to risk a bit today. Uh, I, I've been traveling the whole week. I've been hosting people from around the world and taking them out. And I, I host people well, although it's not necessarily something I do naturally. My natural inclination is leave me on top of a mountain alone. That's, that's my natural the way I'm wired, but doing life, there are other things that you have to do, so we host well, and we take people out to nice places for dinner, and we do the whole thing. We went to a lovely restaurant, and they specialize in doing these deconstructed meals. It's confusing, eh? I'm a simple man. I want to go to a restaurant, and there's coffee with milk and coffee without milk. Mmm. Milk today. I'm, I'm good with that. I, I'm fine on an airplane with chicken and beef. And why do we need the options? I don't <laughs> So too many options confuses me. And uh, there's these deconstructed meals, I didn't know what they were. But they tasted delicious. I don't know why they kept spraying it, what looked like shaving foam on the stuff as well, but it tasted quite nice. <laughs> but, 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 but the point I'm making is I think today's sermon is actually going to be very deconstructed. Um, normally when I'm preparing a message, I know what I want to say. There's one or two key points I want to make, stories I want to share, scriptures I want to highlight, and I, and I piece that together. But during the course of this week, as I've been pushing into Dad about today, it's join the dots. It's a whole lot of little loose pieces rather than something clear. In my heart of hearts, I know what it is that I want to communicate. I'm not too sure how to, but I'm going to trust that he, he does that. You see, the fast was incredible. Who, who here fasted in some way, shape, or form during the... Okay. The hardest part for me about the... The fast is I wish that I could have stopped, paused, and slowed down in my life, but I was working 11, 12-hour days in the midst of that. So not eating, um, uh, no TV and, and uh, Instagram and, and, and all of that stuff, and no gymming, no training, separating time for, for God was, was, was incredible. The hard part was having to work and work late and telecons and meetings because the brain gets a bit mushy. So I think in the midst of those three days, those times of sweetness and intimacy that I was craving to have with dad, I didn't have because I was working hard. So it took a couple of days after the fast for me to fully appreciate what it is that God had done with me and in me during that time period. Does that, make, does that make sense? And he did a lot. You see, the, the last few years, for whatever reason, work, stress, pressures, all those kind of things. You know, it's amazing. When I used to live in Cape Town, an analogy I'd use quite often when, when preaching is... Um, 
we used to be part of a church that had these incredible views over Table Mountain. That postcard picture of Table Mountain, you could see from the, the church building we had. And I'd get people to come up and stand in the front and I'd tell them to look at Table Mountain and describe what they see and the majesty and the beauty and, and, and everything. And then I would give them a five rand coin and I'd ask them to hold the five rand coin out there in front of them and slowly but surely bring it closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And eventually, if you put it so close to your eyes, a five rand coin, which is that big, will block out the entire table mountain. Yet in terms of size and spectacle and majesty, etc., they are incomparable. But when we make idols out of our stresses, our strains, our barriers, our issues, our health, our, we move them closer and closer and closer and closer and closer until the things we are wrestling with block out the majesty and the glory and the beauty and the incredibleness of who God is. And in time, we even begin to believe that they are equivalent in size. In fact, our problems are bigger than our God because all we are seeing is our problems where it's just a matter of perspective. And because I am a leave me on top of a mountain alone and I'll be okay kind of guy, working 11-hour days, traveling around the world, meetings, telecons, those kind of things. It's not the way I am, it's not my DNA. I do it well. Um, there's a favor of God on the things that I lay my hands on, and I'm very, very grateful for that. But over the years, what's happened is the things of life have come closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to my eye. And that majesty and awe and beauty of just how flippin' amazing God is somehow gets diluted. And, and we seem to think that he's stopped talking, but he hasn't stopped talking. The walls in our, the walls around us have just become thicker. They've become more soundproof. He becomes harder and harder to hear. And then we start believing that he's not speaking because we're not hearing him where he never ever stops speaking if we can just listen. And what the fast did for me is it removed the perspex from in front of the drum kit and I can now, I'm just hearing him like I haven't heard him in, 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 in years before. And you see, it's, it's normal Christian life to communicate with God every second of every minute of every hour of every day. We forget that when we've been saved for a long time because we deal with disappointments and issues and this, that, and the other, and that coin moves closer, and that coin moves closer, and the coin moves closer, and then we stop hearing. I've been so frustrated in the last few years that I've got incredible stories. I've only touched the tip of the iceberg of the things I've seen God do in me, in people around me, in places I've gone, but they're not that fresh. They all seem to be from then, not from now, and I'm not okay with that. In terms of who God is and his grace and his glory, we should be 
moving into more and more exciting times, growing more and more in our adventures with him, not sitting back on a rocking chair, remembering way back when. There's an issue there. There's a problem there. And I've been aware that there's been that problem. It's not that I don't hear God at all, but that coins come really close. Can you relate to what I'm saying? And since the fast, it's been amazing. Um, I was flying from Johannesburg to Cape Town. It was a fairly late night flight. It's long days, lots of meetings. So what I tend to do is I use my time on the plane to catch up on admin and work because I'm only gonna get to my hotel at 10, 10, 30, then I wanna go straight to bed because I've gotta be up early the next day. So I'm not paying attention to what's going on around me, which is sad because some of my greatest adventures I've ever had with God have been on airplanes. I don't know, I don't know why. I've shouted a word of knowledge to a guy in the front row before, I didn't want to. And he looked at me angrily, and I don't even know if the word meant anything for him, but I, but I, 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 I did that. Um, I spoke to a guy sitting next to me who him and his wife had been trying to have kids for many years, and they were in their mid-40s, and suddenly his wife got pregnant, and although they'd been wanting to have kids for many years, the reality that they were going to have one was really scaring them. And I spoke to him about what it means to be a dad in the context of dad being our dad. And we got halfway through the conversation, but I knew the conversation wasn't finished when I flew back and he was sitting next to me again. (laughs) And I flew back about three days, four days later. When we landed in Cape Town, we were both covered from head to toe in gold dust on a BA flight. It was amazing. Had guys with blasphemous stuff written on their T-shirts sit next to me and we talk to them. And then when they leave the plane, they walk sideways so you can't see what's written on their, on, 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 on their shirts because the Holy Spirit's convicting them. I love that stuff. I've seen people give their, 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 their lives to Christ on, on planes. I, I pushed bodyguards out the way to grab Desmond Tutu and to prophesy over him. I didn't want to. I was sitting drinking coffee in the Portuguese place there in the Joburg airport, what's it called? Fida. And I'm sipping and I see Desmond Tutu and the next thing I know I'm standing in front of him with my hands on his shoulders and he's a tiny man. And just declaring stuff over his life. I, it's been a long time. So I'm sitting on the plane this week, I'm doing work and there's a young guy sitting next to me and I just start remembering what it was like to be a a student. And um, maybe true to me, one of my prevailing memories of being a student was never having enough money to buy a drink. Um, That's just what I remembered. So I looked at this guy next to me, and I'm not in the habit of buying random strangers drinks. It's not something I do. Um, I look at this young guy and I say, "Um, I'm gonna have a glass of red wine, what can I get you? And he says, oh no thanks, no thanks. I said, no, no, no. I remember what it's like being a a student and not having money. I think you, you, you feel like a drink, if you don't, please, 
He said, no, actually, I really do. Can I have a, a, a cider? So I got him a hunter's dry, and we started talking. And, and he was talking about how he enjoyed his holiday at home with his family, but the whole holiday, he's been so excited to get back to varsity because he loves it there so much. And he's studying at Stellenbosch, and he lives in one of the reses, and it's the oldest res in Stellenbosch. And how when he went there, because he's a film major, um, he's not a, a rugby lock or prop. Um, he thought he might not fit in with the whole Stellenbosch culture and going, but how the culture, the traditions and everything there, he's just found family and he loves it and it's exciting and it's this and it's that. And we had this great conversation. So I said to him, I said, that's interesting because I've got a nephew who's actually going to um, Stellenbosch this year. And it's his first year there. And the guy looks at me and he says, where's he from? I said, no, he's from Mauritius. And the guy looks at me and he says, hmm. this is his name, this is his mom's name, this is his dad's name, this is where he lives. And I think, is this guy having some incredible word of knowledge? I say, how on earth do you know that? And he says, just a good guess. We've got spies amongst the first years and they gather information on them so that when we arrive, we can bring them into our culture and I am responsible for his initiation. He showed me pictures of him. He showed me a file. I thought amazing coincidence, incredible coincidence, fantastic. We had a great conversation. I shared that with, with, with Daphne. Only two, three days later do we get the story back that his mom has been on the verge of a nervous breakdown with her fears <laughs> about her firstborn son going off, going away from home where there's no friends and there's no family and what's going to happen to him and she hears all these stories about the initiations and uh, can her son cope and this, that and the other and she had been praying fervently for that and a group of people interceding. So what does God do? He puts me next to the guy that's going to be responsible for his initiation. I don't think I've ever bought a young student male. In my student days, I might have bought some ladies a drink, but I don't think I've ever bought a student male a drink. Just a prompting, just a prodding. It's not something I do. And see how incredibly that comes together? These are the adventures with God that I'm talking about. You see, I, I, I almost hate talking about outreach and stepping out and all of that because all people think about is the fears that they have to face and overcome. They don't think about the insane adventures that are lying there in front of them. Huh? Huh? I mean, I, I, I remember going to Cape Town with John and we were ministering um, to a church over there, and, and the, the, the church's culture is that they want to see more of, of God. Absolutely, they do. They really want to see more of God, but they're scared. 
I mean, simply put, they, at that point of time, they were very scared to step out of their, 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 their comfort zones. John and myself were on the plane together and we were talking about our trip, again on a plane, where the woman sitting in the row in front of me then hands me a piece of paper with all sorts of notes and prophetic words for the people in leadership of the church we were going to. Do you remember that? Uh, how does this stuff work? Uh, we, we go down, we have a meeting with the guys, we're prepping them to go out on the streets and they're terrible. Um, <laughs> oh, they were awful. <laughs> I've heard some excuses from people, no, uh, yeah, oh, I won't look at them, but boy, did I hear some excuses from those guys. And then the one guy, he's very, very conservative, he's a... An, a I think he does actuarial science. He, he manages the church finances. Now, that's fantastic, but it's just that's his profile of personality. He's not an outgoing, gregarious kind of person. And we were asking people what miracles do they want to see. And, you know, I, I was quite comfortable with people saying, no, to get a word of knowledge for someone, or we go on a treasure hunt and I'm looking for a blue shirt. And if I find someone with a blue shirt, that would be great. But this guy comes out and says, no, I want to see someone, I want to see a cripple walk. I like that. I wish you didn't share that with me because I feel a lot of pressure. <laughs> I'm okay with just a color on a shirt. We can work with that. But as we walked out of the building and, and he partnered up with, with John, I didn't think they'd walked more than 10 meters. And there was a lady, in a, was she in a wheelchair? They grabbed her hands and said, stand and walk, and she stood and walked. You see, these are the adventures with God that I need in my soul to be part and parcel of my day-to-day -day life. And I need them to be part of your day-to-day -day life. And, and maybe you haven't given me permission, but I think I might give myself permission to push you a bit. Because I need you to be doing that. I need you to be finding life in your walk with Christ because I feed off your life, you feed off my life. I remember in Cape Town, we had a group of friends that, that were on a, a WhatsApp group. And the WhatsApp group was only for testimonies and only for fresh testimonies. And I can remember sitting in the office, busy working, and I'm getting testimonies of this guy being healed there, this guy... I, I excused myself out of the meeting because I wasn't going to miss out on the, the fun. Where can I find people? I don't know. I'm going to go to a car wash and get my car washed. Off I go to the car wash park. The car, okay, Dad, what are you doing? And off we go. I live for that. And I live for seeing other people around me activated in that. And, and Reinhard Bonnke came out with these beautiful videos I watched uh, a few years ago. They're very short, about 10 minutes. And I'll never forget the one. It showed these people that were on this cruise liner. And this cruise liner um, was a, they were running a program where they were, there were lectures every single day for the people. So you went on this cruise to learn. And what they were teaching people on was how to save the lost and how to rescue people from eternal death. That's what the 
conference on the boat was about. In the middle of the conference, they receive an SOS call from a ship that's only five miles away from them that is busy sinking. So they choose to ignore the SOS call because they're busy with their conference. Do you understand? There's not a single person here today, whether this is your first time here or your 10,000th time here, who needs any more training to step out in faith. You don't. Activations are good, but activations last for a short time. And it's in the natural and in the spiritual. Mike, you, you, you know, and Roger, yes, I've spoken to you. I, I, I had a motorbike accident when I was 18 years, years old. I was driving at 120 kilometers an hour. I lost control of my motorbike, and I drove directly into one of those concrete um, um, telephone poles. I hit the telephone pole with my hip, I fell on my bike and my handlebars went through me. I was a mess. Yeah, I was a mess. <laughs> I, 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 I removed the handlebars, there was no pain. I tried to stand up, but when I stood up, my entire hip region felt like when you step in um, gravel, just <laughs> and I noticed that my right foot was facing backwards. And then I just collapsed, and then the, the pain set in. Okay. I was found about 45 minutes later, um, had almost bled out um, to death, and they're rushing me into the hospital. I'm in and out of consciousness, and I just hear these words and conversations going on around me about how they don't think I'll ever uh, walk again. My pelvis was shattered into 38 pieces, and they held me together very scientifically back then with sandbags, just to keep the bones in place. So that was my starting point, and there was a long rehab, and I had to learn how to walk again. And I was paralyzed from the neck down, but slowly but surely over the process, feeling came back to different parts of my body, till eventually I was fully walking. Ironically though, is um, I had to learn to walk again completely, because the brain can't remember. And um, they taught me how to walk. I'm now being discharged from the hospital. They wave my goodbyes. I stand up because they're going to wheel you out in the, the wheelchair. I walk towards the steps. They hadn't trained me how to go up and down steps. They taught me how to walk again, but my brain had no idea. No idea. I couldn't remember how to go down steps. It's amazing, huh? Why am I highlighting this? It was a miracle that I was healed and I could walk again. But when you're a young guy, maybe not so young as well, you tend to believe that you are completely bulletproof. So there's a whole rehab process you have to go through and I had to wear a corset for a year and a half and it was a real chedunta. Um, but I, I skimmed a little bit on the physio and those kind of things and just the fact that I could be up and about and walking and moving and starting to play sport again, I thought I was okay. It's only when I started training very, very seriously again, about 18 months ago, that I realized how not okay I was. 
that in that injury, some things had shifted and moved to places they shouldn't have been, and they had never fully recovered because I hadn't done the proper um, rehabilitation. So through a lot of conversations with a lot of people, um, some references, I went to a, 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 a physiotherapist here who specializes in, in, in core activations. And effectively what they do is they make you cry like a baby for an hour, uh, twice a week for a month, and then they bill you for it. <laughs> no, the, the, the theory is kind of, I'm no medical expert, but your nerves and your muscles and whatever communicate in this region. And over years, when the communication breaks down, your body learns to compensate. So you use the wrong muscles for the wrong thing. So what they do is they go through a process of activating that area again so that things start communicating with each other the way they're meant to be communicating again. And through that series of activations that were very, very painful that I did, I, I, I saw incredible transformation in terms of mobility, flexibility, strength, this, that, and the other. But I need to do those same activations three to four times a week, and every time before I go to gym, I actually need to, to do those activations. If I don't, I can feel the difference in my performance. I didn't do them when I had my Achilles up, and I could see how far backwards I had Gone. And if I'm traveling for business for a couple of days and I don't do those activations, I can feel how stiff and sore I am again when I go back to training. Why do I share this long story with you? Because it's the same in our adventures with God. We, we, we have fun. We do a, a, a fire starters course and, and, and God does incredible things. And the words of knowledge that people come up with are just mind-blowing. And we have people who have never prophesied in their lives, prophesying accurate dates over complete strangers and giving them directions road by road how to get to their house. It's amazing. But then the fire starters course has run its course. And um, we don't do our daily activations. And because we're not doing our daily activations, we become deactivated. Hmm? And then those people, not me, not me, those people who, who, who do things like fire starters with people, other people like similar to me, get very discouraged. The point I'm up making is stepping over a, a chicken line, taking risks, doing things that we're uncomfortable with doing is as horrible to all of us. Anyone that tells you that they love doing that, um, who do they contact for Connection Center? <laughs> But maybe some of you have tasted enough to make that bit of discomfort worthwhile. And that's where we need to challenge and encourage each other and, and not be support groups for each other as to why we do nothing. 
Mm-hmm. Jesus only did what he saw his father do. I haven't seen God do anything yet, so I'm waiting. I love that book. Um, I can't remember what it's called. The one with the glove on about healing. No, it's not an Andy Mason book. It's a guy from, he's from Hawaii. And he teaches on healing and he says, step one, find sick person. That's kind of how he teaches. Step two, tell them to be healed. If you want to be holy, add in Jesus' name. That's, that's kind of how he teaches, and that's kind of how uncomplicated it is. You know, we talk about our dreams and desires and whatever, and I would love to see the dead raised. I would love to see the dead raised, but I don't see many dead. So the only way I can see the dead raised is if I go and find dead people. And the people at the morgues look at you weird, but they really do. (laughs) And if they're nuts enough to let you in, then they call their buddies and they all stand at the door and they watch you. (laughs) And then you go into these rooms that are freezing cold. It's not nice. And I remember praying for this lady and the first thing, her, her hair was frozen solid, which was awful. And her body was so cold to, to the touch. And, and she had this piece of paper on her chest with her name and date of death and, and what the condition was. And I'm, I'm touching her frozen hair and it feels awful. And I'm praying and I look down and this page starts moving. And I'm like, it was the cooling fan in the fridge, okay? <laughs> Yeah, then I realized I'm not ready to see the dead race. Mm-mm. <laughs> but I want to help facilitate a culture. I want to be part of a culture where we challenge each other to step out and risk more and, and, and do more. That's the point of what I'm, what I'm sharing on today. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.